<laughs> now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I have received, I have passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also, as to the one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he has raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hoped in Christ, we, are all, we of all people must be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But in each turn, Christ, the first fruits, then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the, hands over the kingdom of God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, power, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now. When it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that it, this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized from the, for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? As and as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as Shula, as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? Let us drink, uh, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die.
do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your uh, senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Thank you ever so much, uh, Nathan, for that. Um, you don't know, you might not know this, but uh, Bibles come in the paper version as well. It's quite, uh, <laughs> it's, it's quite amazing, really, what you can get these days. <laughs> um, people attempt to undermine the uh, Christian faith in all sorts of ways. Some people by claiming that the, the Bible is full of wives, old wives' tales, uh, or science has dis disproved Christianity, or psycho uh, Chris Christianity is a psychological crutch for weak people. Another idea is that uh, all um, religions lead to God, further claiming that there's nothing special about the Christian faith, and it's only one of many religions in the world. And I've spent many hours and have had many interesting conversations and probably with hundreds of people of, who have these ideas over many years. And yet probably one of the assertions that I've heard more than any other is that once you are dead, you're dead. This is the only life that there is. After this is over, finito, finished. But that argument isn't uh, a 21st century invention. That argument is actually as, whole, as old as the hills. And it was also an argument stated by people living in first century Corinth. And some of those claimed this, uh, once you're dead, you're dead, weren't even pagans. Some of them were actually members of the Corinthian church, which is quite astonishing. Now, the, the, the church at Corinth had it um, uh, things wrong in all sorts of different ways. We've been looking at this now for a number of weeks. We've seen that the, the church at Corinth, they were divided, and uh, we see that they had marital problems. We also see that um, <coughs> there was sexual immorality amongst them. There were divisions. They were taking people to court. There was the abuse of the Lord's Supper. There was misuse of spiritual gifts. There were quarrelings and jealousy. But they also had a problem over what they believed. And some of them in this church actually believed that once you are dead, you're dead. And the key verse for us this morning is verse 12. Where Paul writes, it is preached that if, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say, that there is no resurrection of the dead. And the whole chapter revolves around this one verse. It's an interesting thought. And I don't know if you've thought this before, but if there was um, no lack of love in the Corinthian church, we would never have got that wonderful chapter 13. Have you ever thought of that? If they weren't deficient in the area of love, we would never have got 1 Corinthians 13. And we wouldn't have been blessed by that, and others and millions of people have been blessed down through the years. Probably the finest words ever penned on, on love. And likewise, if the Corinthian church um, <clears throat> had no problems over what they believed about what happens after death, we wouldn't have this magnificent chapter, chapter 15, which is probably the most extensive treatment in the entire Bible on the resurrection of Christ. 
So I sort of want to say, thank you, Corinthians. <laughs> thank you that we have those amazing chapters in our Bibles because of your deficiencies. But if you read this chapter carefully, you will notice that Paul is not attempting to convince the Christians that Christ had risen from the dead. They believed that already. They didn't need to be convinced about that. But they did need reminding of it. And their deficiency was that they didn't believe that they would rise again. They believed that Christ had risen, but it was for them. They didn't believe that they would rise again. And you see, without the resurrection of Christ, Christianity would be nothing more than a human philosophy or a religious speculation. I was asked by someone recently uh, this question. The person said to me, if it can, could be proved beyond any shadow of a doubt that Christ did not rise from the dead, would you still be a Christian? I thought it was a good question. And I answered by saying, I have no doubt whatsoever that the resurrection of Christ is absolutely true. But hypothetically speaking, to answer your question, I said to this other person, if it could be proved to me beyond any shadow of doubt that Christ did not rise from the dead, yes, I would walk away from the Christian faith. You see, I'm very happy this morning to confess that I have all my eggs in one basket. Everything stands or falls on Easter Sunday. Everything. No resurrection. No Christianity. Simple as that. And then I threw the question back to the other person. I said, tell me, if it could be proved to your satisfaction that Christ did rise from the dead, showing himself to be God as he claimed he was, would you then believe? I didn't get an answer. I normally don't get an answer when I ask that question. But you see, Paul shows us clearly that Christ's resurrection and our resurrection are inseparably linked. We can't have one without the other. We can't be raised from the grave one day if Christ wasn't raised initially, on the one hand. And on the other hand, since Christ was raised from death, those who are linked to him through faith will also rise from the grave. And that's why in the first 11 verses that we have in this chapter that Paul reviews the evidences for the resurrection of Jesus. And his argument, as typical Paul, is flawless. Step by step, he reminds them of the facts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he presents them with four evidences. First evidence was the Corinthians themselves. Verse 1. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. So the Corinthians themselves, they were the first evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. The fact that they had come out of their spiritual blindness and the deadness of Judaism or paganism into the light and into the life of Christ was proof in itself. Their changed lives were proof that Christ had risen from the dead, living empowered lives. 
You see, the Corinthians, as we know by now, they weren't any more perfect than we are. But they were changed. And Christ was continuing to change them one day at a time. And they were aware of this new power that was at work within them. And I think that a person's changed life is one of the greatest evidences for the resurrection today that God is alive and well in our planet and when we go and live before others resurrected lives of a new power at work within us that is one of the greatest evidences and that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians first of all you know let's get down to this look at yourselves you are the greatest evidence here of the resurrection and then he goes on the second uh, reason is the scriptures in verse 3 and 4 he writes for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures I'm sure you remember the story of the two disciples on the Emmaus road after the, after the crucifixion of Jesus, Jesus joined them in conversation. They didn't realize that it was Jesus. And they were mourning their lot, saying that they had hoped, past tense, that this was the Messiah, the Redeemer of Israel. And Jesus said to them, Luke chapter 24, 25, verse 25, How foolish you are! How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken! Did not the Messiah have to suffer many things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You see, not only the death of Jesus, but also the subsequent resurrection of Jesus was prophesied hundreds of years before in what we call our Old Testament. There's a third evidence as well. And that is that Jesus appeared to many eyewitnesses in verse 5. And then he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Let's break this down. Let's go through this. First of all, he appeared to Cephas, Peter. That's an amazing story in itself, isn't it? Here was Peter, a coward who ran away, who denied his Lord three times. He ran away in fear of his life. What changed that man to become a fearless leader of the early church? Someone who eventually became a martyr for Christ. Might it have been the resurrection of Christ? Me thinks so. And then we read of the twelve, and the twelve. The twelve was a collective term. In fact, Judas, as we know, was no longer around, and that he was replaced. But again, we need to ask the question, what turned this rabble of no-hopers into pillars of the early church? And again, I would suggest to you that they had seen and met with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Such an impact was made upon them that now they were prepared to die for him. But it wasn't only Peter and the Twelve. He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom, says Paul, are still living. This was probably about 20 years on now when Paul was writing this. And yet most of these people who had seen Jesus 
face to face and experienced him where eyewitnesses were still alive and they could have vouched for the things that he was saying just imagine a defense barrister having 500 eyewitnesses in a court case eyewitnesses who were even willing to make the greatest sacrifice in laying down their lives for that which they had witnessed that would convince any jury in the world you see many people today are prepared to die for what they believe to be true we know that to be true don't we we've seen it again this week with suicide bombers and uh, those who will give their lives as martyrs for the sake of Allah so they believe that they would one day be rewarded <coughs> in their heaven and I think that uh, all decent-minded people would be right to think of such views as that as an abomination but even so even so there's a kind of depraved logic in what they're saying you see many people are prepared to die for what they perceive to be the truth even though it may not be the truth like these suicide bombers but no one on earth in their right minds would be willing to die for something that they knew to be a lie and there is no way that all these eyewitnesses for the resurrection of Jesus would be willing to testify that they had witnessed the risen Christ if indeed he had not risen because knowing that such a testimony would mean that they would probably be martyred and so would their families and then we read he appeared to James and to all the Apostles now the James that's spoken of here is the half-brother of Jesus interesting to note here that if you read in John chapter 7 verse 5 this James was not a follower of Jesus I suppose you know if your brother's the Messiah it's pretty hard to get over that one isn't it you know to actually believe that he's the Messiah you know you know what it's like when you're trying to share your faith to family members it's not easy so James you know he had a bit of a disadvantage you know his brother Jesus was the Messiah and no wonder he didn't believe it but then we read in uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 14 after Jesus has ascended to heaven and the disciples got together to pray together James was there with them by the time that we come to Acts chapter 15 James was now the leader of the Jerusalem church what happened you think any ideas I've, I've got an idea I think again we're not told but I think that he met with the risen Christ changed him it's not rocket sciences four evidences for Christ's resurrection and the fourth is a very special witness Paul himself we read in verse 8 and last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect no I worked harder than all of them yet not I but the grace of God that was with me what wonderful verses aren't they see Paul uh, the Lord had appeared to Paul probably several years after Jesus rose from the dead and then we read in verse 8 he appeared to me also as one abnormally born what's he talking about was he breach or c-section or what, what are we talking about here well no he's not talking of anything in terms of natural birth what he is talking about is spiritual birth so I know it's a, it's a strange turn of phrase 
Paul wasn't one of the original band of disciples. In fact, he was the arch persecutor of the church. And then one day, as we know the story very well, he was on that Damascus road going to persecute Christians on a murder mission to Damascus and the risen Christ appeared to him, changed everything, absolutely. His whole life was turned around. And he became God's man and missionary. He says that he didn't deserve anything from God. And not one of us today deserves anything from God either. We are what we are by God's grace alone. A former Chief Justice, Lord Chief Justice of England, Lord Darling, said of the resurrection, in its favour as living truth there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring a verdict that the resurrection story is true. Then we get to verse 12. From verse 12 onwards, um, Paul argues that if there is no resurrection of Jesus, then we as Christians don't lose just one important uh, Christian belief with nothing else being effective. No. The whole Christian faith tumbles. It just crumbles around us. No resurrection, no Christian faith. And he takes us through this step by step, and I'll just walk you through this this morning. The first thing that he says, <clears throat> no resurrection. Uh, if there's no resurrection, then not even Christ is raised. Verse 13 and 16. The embalmed remains of Lenin lie in a crystal casket in a tomb in Red Square, Moscow. And on the casket it says of Lenin, he was the greatest leader of all peoples, of all countries, of all times. He was the lord of the new humanity. He was the saviour of the world. Do you notice something special in all of that? It's in the past tense. Have you noticed that? Everything is in the past tense. Contrast the words of Jesus in Revelation 1.18. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Muhammad died in Medina on June the 8th in the year 632 at the age of 61. His tomb is visited every year by tens of thousands of Muslims and they come there to mourn his death not to celebrate his resurrection but the tomb of Jesus in Jerusalem is empty praise God <clears throat> I love the apocryphal story of uh, Joseph of Arimathea being asked why he could have been so generous to Jesus to give him his tomb and in this apocryphal story, Joseph replies, well, it was no sacrifice at all. He only needed it for a weekend. <laughs> I like that story. <clears throat> yeah, don't go looking for that in your Bibles, by the way. It's, uh, that's, just, uh, that's just a story, okay? <clears throat> the second thing that uh, Paul shows us here <clears throat> is that if Christ is not raised, our preaching is useless. You can follow this through in your Bibles, verse 14. In other words, why preach? What good news is there? Preachers are wasting their time coming out with a lot of hot air. I personally might have done something far more constructive with my life 
than be doing what I'm doing if there is no resurrection from the dead. Paul says in verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. I love the way the message puts that. It says if, we, if all we can get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. That's good, isn't it? Let me go through these uh, <coughs> arguments that uh, Paul brings out here. Thirdly, no resurrection means that our faith is futile, verse 14 and 17. In other words, Paul says we are wasting our time on an ideology which is worthless. So forget all the singing, forget the preaching, forget the excitement. We're all deluded fools. If Christ did not rise, then Christianity is an interesting museum piece and nothing more. There's no objective reality. It might be a nice wishful thought to ease perhaps the trials and the tribulations of this world, as Karl Marx believed. But it certainly is not worth getting steamed up about. The martyrs who went singing to the lions, the missionaries who gave their lives in Ecuador and Congo and Zimbabwe, whilst taking a message to others, were nothing but poor, deceived, deluded fools. The fourth thing that uh, Paul says here as he comes through this passage is that uh, if there's no resurrections, then the apostles themselves uh, were false witnesses. They claim to be eyewitnesses, but he is saying that if this didn't happen, then they were false witnesses. And he gives a list here of people who have given affidavits testifying that they had uh, seen Jesus after he had risen from the dead. But you see, if Jesus had not risen, and there's no polite way of saying this. There are liars. Peter, you're a liar. Matthew, you're a liar. James, you're a liar. John, you're a liar. Paul himself is a liar. That sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? But what other alternative have we had? We, we don't have anything here. They're all telling lies that we cannot trust a single word in the Bible. What else? The fifth, no resurrection, we're still in our sins. Isn't it great singing the songs that we've been singing this morning about Christ's death on that cross, that he has set us free, that his uh, actions on that cross has paid our debt, that sin's curse has lost its grip because of that. Well, if Christ has not risen, then all of our talk about sins forgiven and conscience is cleansed and us being new creations is just one great big psychological con trick. If Christ is not raised, not raised from the dead, then all we have is a dead saviour. And a dead saviour is no saviour at all. It would be no different to any other religious leader. You see, the resurrection of Christ was the proof that God had accepted Christ's sacrifice as an atonement for our sins and for the sins of the world. It was God's royal stamp of approval on what Jesus did on Good Friday. What else? The sixth thing that Paul says here is that if Christ is not raised, is not raised from the dead, then those who have already died are lost. Death is the end. There's no hope of reunion on the other side with 
loved ones and from family members and all of those who have given up their lives in martyrdom in reaching unreached peoples around the world they were deluded fools and all those reassuring words of comfort at funeral services are without substance they might provide temporary relief but they are nothing more than wishful thinking you see everything stands or falls on the resurrection of Christ it's not one other doctrine which you can take or leave it is the foundation it is the cornerstone this goes everything goes <clears throat> my word this was a scary verse and you might have read this many times because Paul says if there's no resurrection then when why are people being baptized for the dead verse 29 now if there's no resurrection what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised, why are people being baptized for them? That's a strange verse, isn't it? And baptism for the dead isn't found anywhere else in Scripture. And can I just say to you that Paul was certainly not condoning this strange practice. He was just speaking about something that was happening in Corinth at that time possibly amongst Christians or amongst uh, other sects and he was just making a comment because they were doing this and he wasn't condoning them as I say but he was just recognizing that this was a practice among some people in Corinth and he said why on earth do you do that it makes no sense if the dead are not raised and he goes on in verse 30 if there's no resurrection then why are we prepared to suffer for Christ and as for us why do we endanger ourselves every hour writes Paul I face death every day yes just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes what have I gained if the dead are not raised let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die you see what Paul is saying here is that all of the grief and all of the suffering and all of the danger and all of the persecution and all of the anguish and all of the trials experienced in living a life for Christ in this world has been a waste of time a sheer waste of time if there is no resurrection and he says it's better to eat drink and be merry tomorrow we die so what does all of this have to say to us today just come into land now what's the the take home for us what's the take home this morning Can you just move that on please firstly the resurrection of Christ is based on solid historical foundations and I want to encourage you this morning probably the mass, vast majority of people in this place today that those of you who have trusted Jesus in a sense you put all your eggs into one basket you've trusted Jesus with your lives and I just want you to know that your hope in Christ is not in vain there may be dark moments that you have I think we all have those dark moments on times when we question everything we question the reality of God we question the reality of our salvation 
We question the sacrifices maybe that we have made in serving others. Other people might have accused you of being foolish, of wasting your life and your efforts and your money on some religious cause. You might have been questioning your own mortality. The years are creeping on. You're beginning to feel your age. You sometimes catch yourself thinking, how long have I got left on this earth? Do I know that I'm really heaven bound? Has it been worth it? And sometimes the mind plays tricks on us. But you see, whatever your questions or doubt, I want you to, to, to encourage you that you have built your lives on a solid foundation and your hope is not in vain. And Paul writes in Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. <coughs> we sang earlier that great song. We started our morning off with it. And there was a part in that, if there, was, if, if there were no resurrection, we ourselves would not be raised, but the Son of God is living. So our hope is not in vain. You know, I've yet to hear of any Christian recanting of being a Christian on their deathbed. I don't think that's ever happened. People on their deathbed sometimes have regretted the time that they have spent in the office or regretted uh, time that they spent on their hobbies or regretted the little time that they spent with their families or doing the Lord's work. But I have yet to hear of anyone regretting that they had been a follower of Jesus Christ. And there may be others here this morning who have claimed much of what some of the Corinthians were claiming. And you might have said, you might be still saying, this life is all that there is. Once you're dead, you're dead. There's nothing beyond this life. And my words to you this morning would be, for heaven's sake, don't throw your brains away. Check out the historical evidence. You'll be surprised what you discover. The resurrection of Christ. Is it hoax? Or is it history? Is it fiction or is it fact? And those are the most important questions that you could ever be asked. And the choice is yours. You see, I'll be honest with you this morning. If there's no resurrection, then Jesus is a fraud. He's an imposter. And his ashes are somewhere buried in Palestine today. If he didn't rise from the grave, then I suggest that we all go home that we sell these buildings and give it to some charity doing some good work in the town. But if Jesus rose from the dead, as well over 500 eyewitnesses declare, and many of those eyewitnesses chose to die for that truth, then it proves that Jesus is one with God as he claimed, and everything that he taught in this life and about the next life is to be heard and obeyed. As you see on screen there, there's simply no middle ground. It's as plain as that. It really is. We're going to sing our final song, guys, if you'd like to come back. In Christ alone, verse 3 says, There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, 
For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Verse 4 says, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Would you stand as well, please? Let us.